wanted to um, finish uh, the series, which is really just, you know, a couple of Sundays, on shutting the door to the enemy. Um, how many of you were here last week, last Sunday? Um, so uh, last Sunday, we really went into um, the open door that the Lord provides for us when he died on the cross and um, his body was torn and the veil was torn and, and there was a doorway now that we can enter into and we have access to heaven. We can boldly go before the throne of grace. But he's also given us authority to shut the door to the enemy, which is why when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he, he, he mentioned both. He, he said, on earth as it is in heaven, that there is a doorway there um, uh, that what's happening in heaven, we need to bring that and be the conduit of that down to the earth. But we also need to pray, God, lead us not into temptation. And so he's given us the authority to open and to shut. And in the book of Revelation, to the Philadelphia church, um, he admonished them and he said to them, I'm going to give you um, a, 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 an open door. I'm going to give you the key to the of David, and I'm going to place it on your shoulder, a door of authority that what you open, no man can shut, and what you shut, no man can open. And so it really was, that was the faithful church. That was the church that you, we all want to be that church, because there was actually nothing that he sa had said that he had against them. Um, and one of the things that he said that he had for them is that they kept his word. And so he was, um, he was saying to them, because you have kept, meaning you've really honored my word, my word, my will, um, and not just my word, uh, my written word, but you've honored my rhema word, that you've followed me well, and you've stayed within my will, therefore, I am going to give you the authority to open and to shut. Isn't that good news? And so he tells us very clearly that we are to resist the evil, resist Satan, and, and we are to submit ourselves to God. And so that's the formula that he's given us for success in the earth. Um, so this morning, I wanted to talk a little bit more about what I see as a condition um, in this generation. And, and we talked a little bit about it last week when we were talking about the... Um, um, the selfie generation, you know, the, um, the um, Facebook generation, which I think is interesting, just the whole concept as a whole. Um, and, and I was, um, I saw recently an article, and, and the article was, was talking about uh, and highlighting uh, the generation of World War II and how that generation had uh, sacrificially gave themselves to fighting in a, in a war. Um, nobody wants to go to war. Nobody wants to do those kind of things. But they gave themselves, and they continued to selflessly give themselves away, even to death. And then it, it highlighted the generation um, that are of the same age from 18 to 24 today who are saying, don't say words that hurt my feelings on university campuses because I, me, my is so esteemed in, in, a, in a wrongful way that they don't know what it's like to be selfless. 
and to serve. What they are saying is you need to serve me. And you and I, and so you've got a generation that gives themselves selflessly. And now you have a generation that is so incredibly self-focused that you can't even say something to them and, and, and you know, without hurting their feelings. And so they've lost all uh, concept of freedom and true love. And, um, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit this morning, but I also, well, that's what I talked about last week, but I, I do want to talk about what I see as also a situation in the generation today, and it's not going to be a total downer, I promise. <clears throat> You're welcome, Matthew. Georgie and Banoff said this, the world wants you to be happy, but not holy. And religion says this, I want you to be holy, but not happy. But Jesus says, I want you to be both holy and happy. See, Jesus died so that we could have true love. We'd have true freedom. And all love and all freedom that is true is in Christ. And so he wants us to have an abundance in this life so that we can be led perfectly into his will. And in that place of his will, not our will, is the truest highest, deepest, and widest forms of freedom that we could ever experience. Agreed? All right, I want to share with you a quote from Augustine of Hippo from 410 AD. He wrote, he wrote in The Two Loves, which is a story about two cities. It's the earthly city that is built from the love of self even to the point of contempt for God. And the heavenly city that is built from the love of God that glorifies God. Augustine recognized that these two cities overlap. And he said this, that we must live in both, that we must only be of one. We must live in both cities, but we're only to be of the city of God. As a result, Christians are bound to experience the consequences of sin and selfishness that govern the earthly city, he said. In order to avoid despair and promote goodness in the earthly city, the church, this is 410 AD, guys. The church must hold fast to their identity, biblical standards, and mission as citizens of the eternal city of God. When we see the earthly city expanding its borders, then we know that the church has begun to both live in and be of that city. I've heard um, a lot of language in this generation about relevance and, and that the church needs to be more relevant to the world in order to win the world. That's complete insanity. And did you know that the world actually doesn't want us to be like them? They really do want us to be set apart. And they really do want us to be holy. They really do want a church that doesn't judge them for being sinners. They really do want a church that looks like Jesus. And the beauty is that that really is possible for us. 
So good news is the condition is we see in, you know, here we've got Augustine writing of this in, in, in 410 AD, so we can see that the church hasn't really changed a whole lot. <laughs> you know, and even Paul, as he, was, as he was in his writings to the churches all throughout the epistles, he was like, okay, <clears throat> let's review. Jesus was just with us. You're of that generation, and you're already starting to get it wrong. And so the Bible is replete with, with do's and don'ts from the very beginning. When God said in the garden, here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat of all of these trees. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat of this one tr- tree, right? And we, we talked about this last week. What the enemy tried to do is the enemy tried to get uh, Eve focused on the one thing she couldn't have and the enemy tried to get Eve focused on the thing um, that she was lacking, like there was something lacking in the goodness of God, that God wasn't really good, that God was withholding something from her. And so he began to tell her, but, but why can't you eat of this one tree? Because if you do this, you're actually going to be like God. But Eve, but see, the truth was, is that she was already like God, eating of the abundance of the goodness of God and all that he provided for her. So she actually was lacking nothing. You see, selfishness births rebellion and selflessness births obedience. One is love of self and the other is the love of God. One says... I'm going to obey if it serves me. And the other says, I will obey if it serves God. We covered this last week, but I want to go over it again. I want to talk about the law of Lucifer. The law of Lucifer basically is your word. It's your will. The number one commandment in the Satanic Bible is this. Do as thou will. What was the sin that Lucifer committed? Did you know that the number one place that, that, that um, sin is actually spoken about is when Lucifer sinned? It's in Ezekiel. When God was addressing Lucifer, he, and in Ezekiel, he is, um, it's, it's reads the king of Tyra and, and he's speaking of, of Lucifer and the beauty of Lucifer and how Lucifer kind of, you know, was busy taking a lot of selfies. He was all about himself. He was all about his beauty. He was all about his glory. And, 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 and God said this about him. You became filled with violence within, and you sinned. The violence that he had within was his own self-glorification, and he began to read his own mail. He began to believe in his own story, and he began to think that his beauty was greater than the beauty of God. He said of Lucifer in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. 
There are five I wills. There are five I wills. He was saying that he is the I am and that he will ascend. And so it was his will over the will of God. Total rebellion. He had violence in his heart towards God. Lucifer is the father of humanism. The thing about this generation, which is so incredibly dangerous, is that Daniel said that in these days, knowledge would increase. And the danger with knowledge increasing is that those who do not have a heart of humility and the fear of the Lord are in danger that the things that they know will cause them to esteem themselves greater than God. And they will fall to the trap and the deception that they, it is their will over the will of God. And so you have these two, you have these two, uh, the wheat and the chaff that are growing up together. Um, and it's interesting because um, the chaff is stiff, whereas the wheat will, will, will bend, right? For, uh, when it's ready for harvest. But, but, the, but the chaff is filled with pride and self-exaltation. And so you have these two people groups that are going to be warring and one will be warring with their own will saying their will is the one. They are the humanists. They are the ones that are exalting themselves above the name of God. And then you have those that have submitted themselves who have truly come under and who have bowed to the will of God. And I'll tell you something, this group thinks they're the group of power, but this is the group that will truly win and is filled with the power of God. It is the battle of the ages. It's what's been always happening, but it truly, we are in the showdown. It, it will happen in the last days. And so God do's and don'ts. Last week, we talked about the list of do's and don'ts, but I want I to review this. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some scripture to you this morning. So please just try to follow along, and I'm going to show it. It'll, it'll show up on your screens. I want to read out of um, 1 John 2. You can also open your Bibles if you'd like to. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 16. Because uh, the Lord, what he said is he didn't say, hey, I don't want you to have any fun. He said, I want you to be filled with the joy of the Lord. My joy, he said, my joy to get you has been set before me and, and so that you can be filled with joy and that your prayers will be answered and you will have a life that's continually being multiplied in the earth and that everything that you touch will begin to be multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. Even in your suffering, you will have joy. Amen? All right, 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, number one, the lust of the flesh, number two, the lust of the eyes, and number three, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the three ways that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. The enemy came to him with these three things, the lust of the flesh, then the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. And he responded with the will of the Father and the word of God. He stayed in perfection, even in temptation. Romans 8, 
verse 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay, say that with me. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. That doesn't sound boring to me. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Life and peace, life and peace, life and peace. Have you ever experienced real life and peace in God? How many of you have ever experienced that? Raise your hand. It's, it's that place of more than you can hope or imagine. It's that place that is not self-will, but it's God's will. And all the self-will that we have We're trying to get to that place that we know that God has for us, but we do it according to our own self. And in that is the flesh, and the flesh cannot compare to the spirit and the things of the spirit that when we begin to get the will of God, it's so much more than if we to try to get it in our own strength. Does that make sense? Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Then I say then, this is Paul, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I want you to say that. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's really good news. I don't want to be under the law. Do you want to be under the law? Now, the works of the flesh are evidence, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, which is obscene language, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past. Now, this is Paul obviously repeating himself, uh, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is a pretty exhaustive list. I think this even goes beyond, when you agree, the Ten Commandments, right? You're looking at the Ten Commandments, and you're looking at these things going, I'm pretty sure that I may have had courts jesting last week. You know, I mean, you're going, man, this is, this is tough. Because I want to inherit the kingdom of God, right? But fortunately, dun da 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 there is God's word, the law of Christ. Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. Can we agree? Right? Matthew did a great job of preaching that. Thank you, Matthew. The beauty of Jesus. Um. And he was a forerunner. He came to show us who we're going to be. So I am um, 100% God and 100% man because I have Christ living on the inside of me, 
right? I have Christ. There's not like a, a, a mini Holy Spirit or like 50% Holy Spirit. There's like 25% Holy Spirit, but there's 100% Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. And I think we can all agree I'm pretty much 100% flesh. Okay, I may be like 150% flesh, but anyway, um, I, especially in these stretchy pants. <laughs> okay, I had like three turkey sandwiches yesterday, but anyway, who's counting? <clears throat> He was a forerunner. Jesus was a forerunner with Christ living on the inside of us. So, so he, was, he was basically came and he said, okay, I'm going to show you how this is done. All right? Um, and the word says that he learned obedience through his suffering, right? And remember when Paul had his Damascus Road experience? And, and, and the Holy Spirit's talking to Ananias, who's supposed to then, you know, kind of disciple him into the, into the way you know, to be a Christian. And Ananias is going, uh, yeah, that's that guy's killing everyone. I'd rather not do that. And the, and the Holy Spirit says this to him. I want you to tell him about the things that he must suffer for my namesake. Okay, you want me to go tell him that he's got to suffer for your namesake and he's been killing everybody. Can I just tell him that everything's going to be great, that he's going to get a Mercedes and a big house and la, 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 la. Isn't that the gospel? You know, everything's going to be great, right? But he learned obedience through suffering. So guess what? We get to learn obedience through suffering. We don't, we're, uh, Paul learned it, Peter learned it, they all learned it, you know? So when we are in pain and we're suffering, we need to call it all good and say, God, thank you, have your way in me. Work out that thing that, that I have to be obedient to you even in the place where everything is saying, no, go your own way. Do it your way, do it your way. Get out of the will of God and do it your way. It's the same thing with love. The way that love increases is when the enemy gives you an opportunity to hate your brother, right? It's the same thing with obedience. Obedience grows when you're given the opportunity to be disobedient. Yep, like downhill skiing. Never understood that either. You know, it's like you downhill ski and you've got to actually lean downhill in order to slow down. What is that? It makes absolutely no sense. You know, it's the upside down, inside out world of the kingdom. Anyway. Jesus said in his own words, he said this, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So if he came to fulfill the law and he did that for us, then we know that he overcame the world and he overcame that list. He said, listen, I've overcome all of this and I'm going to show you now how to do it because I've actually brought something new, a new covenant, a new, um, a new law that is going to supersede the law of, of the old covenant. And so I love when he said... Um, um, in Matthew 5.17, he said, do not think that I came to destroy the law, but I actually came to fulfill it. And then he goes on and he talks about the, the, um, the law and the prophets, that every word that the prophets spoke about him and the entire law, he came to fulfill all of that in his coming which explains to us what was happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's standing there with the law and the prophets, right? And he's saying, 
Listen, this is what it's going to look like when the law of love in your life supersedes and fulfills the law of the old covenant. When you are in the spirit and not in the flesh, when you are in the spirit, you no longer are under the law, but you are under the spirit. So what happened to him on the Mount of Transfiguration? He began to shine. It was the fulfillment of Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Beloved, I am telling you that as we fulfill the law in the same way by the law of love, we're no longer under the law of the Ten Commandments, but we've fulfilled them through the law of love. He was, dis- he was displaying that, that when you fulfill the law of love, you're actually going to shine. So whereas the Old Testament law was a set of rules, and it's really interesting because when the Pharisees came to him and they said, okay, which one of these laws is the greatest? And don't you know that the spirit of religion wants to assign a greater weight with different types of sin. And I've seen that with this generation. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to go out and get hammered. I'm going to cuss like a sailor as a part of my everyday language, but I'm not murdering anybody and I'm not having sex outside of wedlock, you know, so, hey, I'm cool. It's like, uh, you may want to revisit that because, I, you know, I, I, and, I, and I've actually tried to minister and to lead people out of that. And, and it's interesting because they actually tell me I'm religious. And I said, well, I didn't write the book. I'm just trying to help you out because rebellion is the beginning of deception. You open a door to rebellion, what happens? Then you begin to rationalize why you're rebellious. And then you begin to give the word. Oh, well, the word says blah, 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 blah. That's why I'm rebelling and that makes sense. And then you go on down that slippery slope and look where you end up. Do you still like me? <laughs> Come on, man, I'm preaching the truth. It hurts so good. Come on, cat, sing it with me. Woo! Cat's like, no, you can't sing. <clears throat> Thank you. I was trying to keep up with you before, but I almost passed out. <laughs> uh. All right, so Jesus told us that there's two commandments that would actually fulfill the Ten Commandments of the law. Basically, the law, you know, have you been through that list? It's like obey, 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 obey. And then uh, the, the two commandments, and I like two better than ten. I can't even remember the ten, quite frankly. I'm like, uh, don't steal. <laughs> don't, don't take your people, don't take your neighbor's stuff. Uh, but the two, that's so easy to remember. Okay, love God with your whole heart. Love God with your whole being. Love with your all your strength, with all your mind. Love him. And the second is similar to it. Love others as you love yourself. Love others as you love yourself. Because why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. You see, when we're in the law of love, it covers the law of the Old Testament. 
It covers all of these things, and it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to, to, it's not like, oh, you have the grace to sin. You have the grace now to overcome. You, you, you've been given, and it, grace is an empowering thing, that you've been given the grace to have the revelation that you go, oh, it's about love. I love God so much that I don't want to sin, you know? You know, um, I've had several occasions where I have um, had the privilege of, of leading and in my life. Um, I started a company for Omnicom, and, and I also, you know, leading here. And it's been just such a great pleasure to do that. Um, one of the challenges that I've noticed with this generation is the separation of the heart and the hand. <clears throat> and where many want to give you their hand, but they won't give you their heart. And as a leader, it's very hard to lead somebody who's good at working and fulfilling a job description, but yet their heart really isn't yours. And so it really is a very slight uh, separation of, it's, it's just a slight rebellion where they're like, I'm going to do it, but I don't really believe in it. Do you know how hard it is to build without the heart? It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. And it's, it's been, um, just understanding that um, has been a real revelation to my life because it also shows me about me and God about my heart towards God. Because the law of love um, defines how I approach God. Because that's really my first stop. My first stop is at, is at his feet. My first stop is at his heart. And a lot of times what we'll do in our immaturity, in our immature love, is we approach God with our hand usually our hand out, you know. And, and Paul talks about this in Romans where he says, um, listen, this, when, you're, when you're immature in your love, which is okay, but we have to grow up, right? But when we're immature in our love, we go with our hands out, and, we're, and, it's, and, and it's love that deals with sin. And then we move on in Romans 7, and it's love, of God that deals with self, self-love, where it's like, I want things my way. And he's like, mm, yeah, that's not going to go well for you. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create an environment around you that will create pressure on you that will help you to see that my way is the only way. He's like not sharing the way, right? He's not sharing his will. And it's because he loves us so much. But where we really want to get to is we really want to get to um, Romans 8, which is the love of Christ that's exploding in us and through us. It's the, it's the Roman road. And, and for me, I've gone through this whole process, um, and it was the process of uh, death to self, death to self-love. 
and and even recently, um, I've just had an encounter with the love of God, and He said to me, um, "You." are so obedient to me in coming and praying. But you're still doing it because you want to get something out of it. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it so that you can have an anointing. You're doing it so that you can build your ministry. You're doing it so that you can have what you need. And he said, I really need you to let yourself love just for the sake of loving that you would come to me just because you love me just because you want to be with me but that you don't have an agenda that you let me love you and that truth changes everything because we really um it's hard for us just to go because of love, you know. And it, it, it really has changed um, my prayer life. And what it's done is that um, there's, such a, there's such a victory in it, there's such a, a winning in it, that you begin to not care about um, your ministry, your success, and so it takes that first and second commandment and it actually makes it so real to you that it actually transforms you. And, 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 and so you really do start going to him just because you want to be with him. And you've decided and made a commitment and had a revelation, I'm just going to come because I love you. I'm not going to become come because I have to. Because that's what Christians do. I'm not going to come because I want something from you. But I'm just going to come to be with you because I love you. And so getting to that place <clears throat> is really true love. And then you can really start loving yourself. And then you can really start loving others. And that's where God begins to transform your world. That's really what he was after when he created Adam in the garden. He was after a son and he was after a family. So I want to close with this. I want us to stand and I want us to, um, in our hearts, just make a commitment um, today that we're going to love just because. Just because. And we're going to go to God and we're going to love him for who he is, not for what he can do. We're going we're gonna to go to him because we enjoy his friendship. We enjoy his words. We enjoy his presence. Not because we need, you know, the list goes on forever, right? And so... Um, Tyler, would you put some worship on? <clears throat> you know, I, I really um, don't have the strength to do the list, but I know that I have the ability to love 
because God's given me the ability to love. And I want to obey the, his word because I love him and because he first loved me. So, Lord, we ask you to come right now. And if we've approached you in a way that has, you know, even in our, in our ignorance, Father, in the, when we, you're so good to just show us. You're so good to show us our, the condition of our own hearts. Would you come this morning and... Um, and just show us how to how to how to do it. Um, thank you that Jesus came and he he gave us the um, blueprint for love. I ask this morning, God, that you would come and and just awaken us again to that love. That you would grow us up in love. That you would grow us up, Father. That we could be um, with you where you are. That this, the true unity is the unity of heart, not unity of hand. God, that we would become one with you in our hearts so that we could become a true church that is united in our hearts, God. Where we could really begin to prefer one another because of love, not because it's the right thing to do. We love you, God. We love you. We love you. Yeah, just give us the strength to do this and to live this kind of life. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.